0: This is the Up Next Podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli.
1: Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Professor David Soberman. David is a professor of marketing at the Rotman School of Management and the Canadian National Chair of Strategic Marketing. He's a licensed professional engineer, holds a PhD in management from the University of Toronto, and an MBA and a BSc in chemical engineering from Queen's University in Kingston. David, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: My pleasure.
1: When we think about consumer behavior, low-involvement goods, things like candy bars, are products where consumers aren't really thinking very much about their purchase before they make it. And so the thinking of marketers has been that consumers use ads and sales promotions to influence their purchasing. Is that a fair way to set the stage for the types of goods and marketing mindset going into our conversation?
0: Yes, but I also think the attributes of products also are an important factor. And of course, one of the ways that consumers become informed about the attributes is through the advertising. A lot of the advertising that is done for products like that, it contains information about product attributes. Now, of course, there's a whole set of literature on advertising that does not contain attribute relevant information. Some of that information is persuasive and it tries to create brand images. But the research that we've done focuses more on advertising that provides information that is actually specific to the product being offered to the market.
1: Well, given that attributes are important, one of the things that seemed a little strange is how little information actual product attributes are appearing in advertising. I think in your article, you shared a, what I found rather stunning percentage of advertising messages that don't have any messaging around product attributes. I think it was like, 37, 38 percent in there. They don't have any information. Would non-informative in terms of just making sure we're all understanding what lack of information means in the context of this conversation, that's purely attribute information. So when we're talking about sales or promotional language, which obviously drives people to do things that's not what you mean by information it's product specific information not sales specific correct
0: that's correct i think as i said before one of the things when you're doing an analytical or a game theory model is you're forced to simplify the world to a degree right now as i mentioned before uninformative advertising has become a term that is used for advertising that is uninformative about product attributes, but it's also become synonymous with a way of describing advertising that also creates a brand personality, possibly an appealing one that may in fact increase the willing pay of a specific set of consumers. So
1: well, and that's something that I actually as I was reading it, I started thinking about how perception in the mind of a consumer becomes Reality and if you create a strong enough brand perception, doesn't that become almost a faux attribute?
0: Yes, it does. And I think, I mean, that's a whole—that's a whole of, other story. <laughs> that's a whole other way of trying to interpret this. So, in a way, what our model would say is that uninformative advertising indeed would encompass advertising that is persuasive. <laughs> what we are doing in our paper is assuming that neither firm has an advantage in terms of being able to create an attractive brand personality and if that's the case and you're talking to the entire market then both firms would be equally likely to create an attractive image for the market so we effectively abstract away from that right you're saying when we look at uninformative advertising is that we are saying that simply making an announcement to the market this product is available and it falls into that category so if you're a consumer in that category please consider that product now as i said before we're looking at a differentiated market Mm. where in fact some consumers might prefer attribute A and others might prefer attribute B. We're simplifying the market and we're simply saying these are the only two attributes available in the market. Some consumers are happy with either attribute A or attribute B, some want only A and some want only B. The whole issue is that if you don't have informative advertising, which informs this product has attribute A, or this product has attribute B, you basically form a prior belief about which attribute it is. And we've assumed that it's 50-50. Right. We're going to assume that I, half the products are A and half the products are B, but we can't tell which, which attribute the product has. And in that particular context, then, your willingness to pay, if you were a consumer that was attribute sensitive, would be half of what it would be were you to actually be certain that the product had the attribute that you preferred. So, in particular, if I was a a consumer who loved attribute A, and I could only, with fifty percent probability, estimate that the probability of the product of the product having attribute A, then I would only be willing to pay fifty percent for it. Now, as I said before, uh-huh. there are a set of consumers in our model who are attribute insensitive, and because they don't really care whether it's A or B, they're willing to pay the full price for the product, independent of whether it's got attribute A or attribute B. Right. Is quality considered an attribute? Quality is considered an attribute, and it's a very important one. Though what I would also say is the market that we're looking at is a market where we are focusing on horizontal differentiation, Mm -hmm. which is where people have different tastes. A typical example I would give would be Italian food versus French food. You can't simply say one is better quality than the other. Right. Exactly. So that's sort of the, the markets we're looking at. Now, some markets are more characterized by quality differentiation, Mm. other markets are more characterized by horizontal differentiation. But the types of products we're focusing on are things like competition between chocolate bars, competition between supermarkets, we're focusing on categories where the main differences between brands. Are horizontal in nature so something like supermarkets they're differentiated by location so if you live closer to one supermarket you prefer that simply because you're closer to it you're going to be more likely to shop there not because there's a big difference in quality they both offer similar things in terms of grocery stores
1: when you started the research there were three questions you noted in the research that were driving some of your thinking, and and the first was how the competitive landscape, how it's impacted by the use of informative advertising by the brands, and and when you did your study though, you normalized for all of the factors except for the complexity of the message, right? Is that yes. right?
0: Okay. Yes, correct. We look at our whether or not a firm should include attribute information in its message, mm. and what we do with a message which includes attributes, costs more to send to the market. And this simply relates back to information theory, which is typically the cost to send a more complicated message is higher just like it takes you longer to explain to something that is more complicated. Well, and this is something
1: that I did want to clarify for for practitioners who are listening, because if you're making an ad, your creative costs don't go up based on whether the ad is complex or not. Your creative development costs don't change. You you hire them to make an ad. So is this really the cost in terms of it's not as effective and it takes longer for the consumer to process it? I mean, I'm just trying to... know with a model, you simplify things, but I'm trying to to understand that cost piece if I'm a practitioner and I'm listening.
0: Indeed, I understand exactly the point. And the issue is that this is an abstract representation that in order for me to get a consumer to process and remember something that is more complicated, it costs me more. And that's a fact having worked in marketing for a long time myself. Mm-hmm. If I want to explain to people that Chris Light is a beer, I'm going to have one set, one amount of money that I'm going to have to spend to communicate that. If I want to explain to people that Coors Light is a light and refreshing beer, it's actually gonna cost me more. Because in order for the consumers to remember all three things, it always costs more than it will to get them to just remember one thing. Now, obviously, we can deal with high levels of complexity, you're gonna have a bigger difference in cost, but these models are basically designed to reflect that basic idea that with more information, you have this this factor which is called interference. So you're trying to communicate multiple bits of information. Mm -hmm. And when you have interference, it makes it more difficult for a consumer to remember everything. But you can make up for that either by having stronger ads, stronger creative, spending more on media or Mm -hmm. exposing them to the media more. It's now because this isn't a model about media we incorporate that process in an endogenous way but that's the basic idea that the model so and i mean obviously when you think about it in a very simplified way for me to tell you product a is a bottle and now i'm going to tell you it's either a square bottle or a round bottle it doesn't seem like there's any difference in cost okay it's a round bottle and if i just tell you it's a bottle it doesn't seem like it co- should cost me any more to tell you it's a round bottle. Mm. But as I said before, this is an abstract representation of markets. In fact, attributes are a lot more complicated than round or square, right. typically. Right. Right. And you're also dealing with advertising that is being sent to consumers. But consumers are exposed to thousands of messages every day. And what you want is your message message. To break through and be remembered. And that's quite challenging. So it's one thing to sort of, oh, yeah, that's a product in that, that is a chocolate bar. I want (laughs) to do more than that. I want you to remember that it's a chocolate bar that contains wafers. Right. Sorry, but it's going to cost you a lot more to get people to remember the latter than to remember the former. So that's really what the model. Represents The other, I would say, fundamental assumption upon which the model is based is that there are three types of consumers in our market. There are consumers who are quite sensitive to the attributes and they prefer either the one, or attributes the other. Of one yeah. product or the attributes of the other. And then there's a set of consumers that are insensitive to the attributes. So you can even think of this when you're with a group of people and you're trying to, once again.
1: Plan dinner. Which restaurant are you go to? going to go to? Some people really care. Yeah. You say,
0: okay, we can go to Chez Jean, which is a French restaurant, and we can go to Gino's, which is an Italian restaurant. Right. what? You're going to have a couple of people say, I, I want Italian. I want to go to Gino's. You're going to have some people that say, I want to go to Chez Jones, And then you're going to have like a whole bunch of people that say, well, you know, either is fine with me as long as the restaurants are good. Well, in a way, that's what the market is trying to – or the –
1: Well, that's a great way to to set it up. And again, it's it's a study of what the messaging in the advertising is. It's not how it's delivered to the consumers. It's about the different messaging that's there. And so you have this model. What did you find? How is the competitive landscape impacted when a brand commences an advertising campaign that leans into attributes?
0: Well, there's a couple of things. One is one would think when a market is highly differentiated. That is, when if I asked that question at the restaurant and you would get 50% of the people that would say, I want French, 50% would say, I want Italian, and they have strong preferences <laughs> for a French restaurant. Or if you're a French restaurant or you're an Italian restaurant, you probably have an incentive to include that information in your advertising, and that is indeed what our model suggests, which Mm -hmm. is when you have markets that are characterized by strong preferences, you're more likely to see content rich advertising. The second point at the other extreme, when most people don't have preferences, firms don't gain a lot Mm -hmm. by putting content into their advertising, because when they do, they turn
1: somebody off potentially, right?
0: Exactly. So Those two basic things come out of the model. But the interesting findings in the model are that we actually vary the degree to which there are a group of customers who are not sensitive. And so while you start with a situation where there's a lot of content rich advertising, you may find that the amount of content advertising ops but then in an intermediate range you actually start to see content rich advertising again and the reason the reason that you start to see it again is because content rich advertising becomes less attractive up to a point and then and then what ends up happening is uninformative advertising it's, a, it's kind of complicated but content rich advertising causes a firm to focus on the segment of consumers have a specific preference for that product but as the number of consumers that are insensitive to attributes gets bigger suddenly that firm that has con- that it, that has only used content rich advertising says you know what i can't really make enough money by just focusing on the people that like my product so they start competing now for the attribute insensitive segment when the market is highly differentiated they focus on their segment they focus on their segment and that means the uninformative advertiser get, gets is great because not only does it get the segment of people who are not it's it
1: everybody it gets, it gets yes exactly
0: okay. but at some point as the percentage of the market that is really attracted to the firm with the content-rich advertising, gets smaller. That firm says, hey, I can't make enough money by just focusing on the people that are loyal to my product, so I start competing more aggressively For the main part of the market and then suddenly the uninformative advertiser says hey life isn't so good because that guy who used to be happy to stick to his knitting he's now coming back into my part of the market so it's better for me to actually adopt content rich advertising so as a market becomes less differentiated you may actually see an increase in the fraction of the market that is engaging in content rich advertising which almost seems to go against
1: it goes against what you'd imagine your instinct would be to say well why is why is that but it's a way to differentiate themselves from the competition right i mean that's what they're leaning into uh,
0: yeah so a decrease in differentiation under certain conditions can lead to an increase in the observation of content rich strategies which means in informative advertising, you may in fact see more of that, even at the fraction of consumers who don't care about it goes up. That's the first point. The second point, which is in many ways even more interesting, is we're dealing with a market where firms randomly choose their locations. They may do market research and they both decide that attribute A or conversely that attribute B is the one to choose. Firms basically are assumed in our model to independently develop their attributes. So often you're going to end up with one firm has attribute A and one firm has attribute B. But once in a while, you'll end up with both firms come up with attribute A and both firms come up with attribute B. And we can think of this as doing market research on which is the best attribute. Mm-hmm. Now, in our market, ex ante, it's 50-50, But when Mm -hmm. you do market research, there's an error. And what if we both do market research and we both find that... Attribute A is the best one. So we both develop attribute A. Now, the question is, what kind of advertising are you going to see in that kind of a market? Are you going to see uninformative advertising or content-rich advertising? Their products are perceived as being identical. And when products are perceived as being identical, it's very difficult for companies to make money. So what's interesting is that when both products have similar attributes, either they both have A or they both have B, what you'll find is that one of the firms will actually adopt an uninformative advertising strategy in terms of its creative to create what we call artificial differentiation. products are identical from the perspective of consumers that are making their decision based on advertising, that what this does is this creates artificial differentiation. Now, this only occurs in a certain range because consumers aren't stupid. And Here's the interesting thing. Only when differentiated firms would adopt that strategy, and then there's only in a market where an A firm and a B firm, one firm would choose uninformative and the other firm would choose content rich, is it possible for undifferentiated firms to adopt that strategy? Because oh. the big idea in the model is that if in equilibrium firm consumers knew, hey, in this type of a market, a a type firm would use attribute-based advertising and tell us that it has attribute A. And a B-based firm would use attribute-based advertising and tell us that it was a B. Now, if I now look at the two firms and there's an A firm that's, it, that's informing us that it's got attribute A, and there's another firm which is using uninformative advertising, you know the type firm has also got attribute A because if it had attribute B, it would be telling you. In other words, consumers are assumed to be smart in our model. Right. But the whole issue is that firms that are actually different would adopt content rich and the other would adopt informative. That's a possible strategy then for well, firms. because
1: then you can draw if if it's the A firm is content rich and you're a B firm, but you do content poor, you can potentially draw people who are interested in attribute A because they simply don't know. Exactly.
0: Right? So that that's the basic idea. So in other words, in certain ranges, you find that firms can artificially create differentiation in the market using their... Creative.
1: Using their creative. That's interesting. That's really, really interesting. Now, one other question I had was this was all looked at with regard to low involvement goods. Do you think any of these findings and the learnings would apply to higher involvement goods? Or is it really only because of the nature of the way people shop and engage with low involvement goods?
0: I mean, that's a great issue. So the whole issue is that even with high involvement goods, mm. the question always becomes is how different are the products?
1: Well, right. I was thinking that in some ways you you might even argue that it applies to them even more, I,
0: you are you know, you're, you're absolutely right. So it's a really good question. So with a high involvement good, what often happens is on major attributes firms tend to be quite similar then what ends up happening is consumers will end up making a decision on which product to buy based on a relatively unimportant attribute so it's a high involvement product yet what we do is we make a decision based on a relatively unimportant attribute and guess what that's what's advertised. Yeah, it's for- the
1: cup holders in the car or something.
0: Let me okay. give you another example, airplanes. So you're trying to 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 make a decision of how to fly from New York to Singapore. And you're looking at United Airlines versus Singapore Airlines. And in fact, this is a high involvement decision. You've thought about this for a long time. But what the most important things are when are the flights available? And the safety of the airlines. Well, you've looked at it, and both United and Singapore Airlines have excellent safety records, and they both have flights leaving around around, around the same time. So you're not going to use those attributes to make a decision. So what do you do? You sort of think about well what's the experience i'm going to have and you see the united airlines and very typically <laughs> american when I mean, you see the singapore airlines and they have these beautiful people that are serving you these exotic drinks in seemingly luxurious surroundings and so guess what you choose singapore airlines it's right. clearly not the most important attribute but guess what it's the it's the attribute that people use to make the decision. And now you take to this to the model. The only way you would know what it's like inside Singapore Airlines or a United Airlines flight, if you had never taken one to Singapore, is through their communication. So, going back to your point, yes, in many high involvement decisions, especially when the offerings of the major competitors are similar on major attributes. Our, our, our model would have something to say.
1: That's really interesting because my, my last question was, obviously, we're using this model to, to find out these things. And as we said at the top, real life can be very messy and it isn't as clean. But if I'm a practitioner and I'm looking to apply this conversation to my thinking as I'm thinking about my marketing strategy and what I want to lean into, what would you say is the most important takeaway for them?
0: I think the most important takeaway is to understand that advertising itself performs to roles. The first is it creates awareness and the second that it provides you information about what's being offered. And I think that most of us would agree that awareness is almost fundamental to being able to generate business in a category. But the thing that the model tends to show as well is that you may at times not necessarily benefit from providing all the information you can in advertising about your products, because you may actually turn consumers from buying your product. And I think that that's one of the messages that you want to actually think about is do I want to make sometimes just simply making sure that people are aware of my product as a choice in the category can be beneficial. Uninformative advertising is less expensive than providing detailed information your product and what attributes it has. The other thing is by not providing that more detailed information, you may in fact be able to cater to a broader market.
1: So interesting. Thank you for joining me in conversation.
0: Thank you so much. It was my pleasure.
1: We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Norton, the voice artist who recorded our open. And of course, all of you, the members of our audience. Thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.